Hello and welcome to another episode of the Markless and Toddcast. I am one of your hosts, Todd Workoven, and I am here today with someone who I always wanted to hear more on podcasts, so I decided to invite her onto the show, a friend of the show and friend to all, Chelsea Heath. Chelsea, welcome to the show. I'm very excited. Hi, thank you for having me. You are welcome. So you uh, you agreed. It's a, I, I mention this every time, but it's always a little a little difficult to invite people on the show because it is like assigning them an essay or some <laughs> homework or something like that. But um, I've enjoyed getting to know you uh, over the years via uh, Nate and the Not Nerd podcast, but then also on your own. And I always enjoy all your posts, and you always seem to be into different interesting things. And so I figured it would be great to have you on to talk about something. So. Thank you. Speaking of that, I saw something recently that um, you might be interested in. I know you're into carnivorous plants. Did you know yes. that scientists have genetically modified a Venus flytrap to have the skin of a cactus? Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah, they say its bark is worse than its bite. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, did I just walk into that <laughs> blindly? <laughs> Yay. Applause. And I even I even had prepared a little <laughs> for your introduction, my little bird call thing, and I just totally completely forgot uh, to do that because I just wow, well done. Thanks. Well done on that one. I after listening to Nate's episode, I think it was last week, I was like, Oh yeah, I've gotta get a little joke ready. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I yes. thought you might not be expecting one from me, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fantastic. Well, and it's funny that because, I mean, I walked right into it because the first thing in my notes is uh, about carnivorous plants. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, well, then it fits right in because uh, speaking of Mark, him and I and his husband, Nick, went down to Eagle Creek yesterday, which is about a uh, half hour kind of uh, down south from where I am in West Lynn. And we went to a carnivorous plant nursery and yeah. it was so neat to see and they were the first places because uh, i had a carnivorous plant like 20 years ago that i bought at like home depot sometimes they have them in the little containers that you can buy and bring them home and it's funny because all of those tell you the wrong directions <laughs> to actually grow carnivorous plants but i had one and then i figured kind of like because i knew they were in the orchid family so i was like oh to grow them properly you have to have all these crazy perfect conditions and stuff like that and then I saw a picture of this nursery and just saw that they had like giant kiddie pools full of carnivorous plants just out in the open. And that's in Eagle Creek. And I was and that's when I found out as long as you have full sun and have them in a dish of water, like that's all they need. Like there's some that you do grow inside that have like pretty ornate traps on them stuff. But like there's three of the main variety that 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 can grow outside and over winter here in Oregon. So cool. Yeah, so it was really neat to see that, and I had to break break the news to Mark that he would not be on the show this week. So, 
Oops. <laughs> Oops. I did want an update, though. I know a while ago you were struggling with the curious raccoons and some of your plants <laughs> and strawberries. So I was wondering if you were able ever able to to rectify that problem. Well, basically, <laughs> sort of. I mean, we had put up this really cute little bird seed holder and for a while got to watch the pretty birds come and eat the seeds and and then before you know it the squirrels had just kind of taken over and I mean it was nuts they were dangling from this thing you know up in the air from the tree and had figured out how to open the little door and just pull out the entire suet cake and take it take it away <laughs> so I tried closing the door with um like a twisty tie and I mean, I, I was having a hard time. Like, do I buy a padlock for it? Because they got into that. Yeah. I, I don't know. What, I don't know what else to do at this point. And and then then once they were attracted to our yard, they were like tearing up all kinds of things. Like, they had um, chewed a plastic lid up from the top of a new garbage can we gotten out there. Like, I mean, just chewed through the plastic. I couldn't believe it. So Jeez. so at this point, I just don't have any seed out there <laughs> i'm yeah. just kind of like trying to make the squirrels think okay this is not where you're going to come for it's food a, a barren land <laughs> right and yeah. then maybe find a place to hang that bird feeder from that is really impossible for the squirrels to get to but yeah it's it's crazy how um destructive and strong and persistent they are so <laughs> I don't know. yeah i have i'm actually gonna have to do that because i also have a bird feeder out in this tree and the squirrels have now discovered it. And so it's close enough to the house that I can run out there and they'll, they'll run away. But so what I think I'm going to do is because it's just it's that one. It hangs on a hook and then it's kind of an oblong or just a, a long cylinder that you fill up with seeds and stuff like that. So it has a lid that they're learning how to open. And <laughs> so I think what I'm going to do is I have some fishing line. And so I'm going to hang it with fishing line from the tree because I don't think the squirrels will be able to navigate that small of a thing to yeah. hold on to or so that's what I have to try to rig we'll up see. too but <laughs> yeah well and it's funny because the last place I lived out which was just out in the country like I never had a squirrel problem with mm -hmm. anything and I guess they just had enough trees or, or there was a hazelnut uh grove across yeah. the street so I'm sure that's where that <laughs> hung out but the, yeah, the squirrels here, they're destructive. They, they decapitated my lettuce and now they're getting into this and it's, it's pretty crazy. So I know. And at first I was like, oh, I don't mind feeding them too. But when they started like destroying the backyard, I'm like, okay, yeah. that's why people don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I know. You try to be nice and they take advantage of it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's dive into some news. I don't have a ton of news today, but uh, yesterday I was, I was one day off on getting this out. So yesterday, this was Saturday. The Northwest Lineman Rodeo returned for the first time in three years with speed pole climbing and wire hanging. Teams of journey persons, it's no longer journeymen, it's journey persons and apprentices from all over the Pacific Northwest faced off. The proceeds from a raffle and merchandise sales goes to the Oregon Burn Center at Legacy Emanuel. So I saw that that was yesterday that we all missed it. Um, so I brought up the results and I think I found maybe some brewing controversy that might be happening because the uh, 22, <laughs> uh, 2022 Pacific Northwest Lineman Rodeo Lineman results overall first place goes to Bryce Denny, Josh May and Guy Elliott <laughs> from a company called 612's Clothing Company. 
mm. which I was like, oh, maybe that's whatever. But then everyone else is like a utility company, PGE, IBEW Local 47, and like all of those things. But the first place one is a clothing company. <laughs> so I don't know if the clothing company maybe sponsored them or something, or if there's just a rogue clothing company that is out there and like all of the real electricians and linemen are like angry because these interlopers are coming in yeah, that's so odd. i will be uh, keeping tabs on that as that story story develops um this next story i figured would be two lines long but is one of those it was from a website called mary like mary, uh, merry christmas mary jane uh and they somehow managed to stretch uh two full pages of news out of the Oregon takes the crown for cheapest weed in the entire country. Um, and I wouldn't have guessed, and I guess at this point that 37 United uh, of the States have legalized adult use or medical that does include medical. Um, but Oregon has the cheapest weed of all. Now, what I found funny is that according to that site, an ounce of top shelf, which I guess is the operative word, uh, Oregon marijuana will set you back $210. And maybe I don't know enough about <laughs> weed, kind of like, I think it's like when you get into the wine industry, how it's like, well, why is this bottle like $7,000 and this one, whatever. But like, I swear up and down McLaughlin Avenue, I see all these signs on the street that are like $30 ounces and $20 ounces. And like this one saying, so I guess the top shelf will set you back 210 if you want to go flaunting your money. <laughs> um but uh, mostly this says that like all the new states that are just uh, just releasing or just uh, allowing uh, either med medicinal or, or other use marijuana are top. But um, I thought it was interesting. It says uh, Oregon's cheap prices are great for weed connoisseurs, but bad for local cannabis businesses. Oregon's legal pot industry produces way more weed than the state's residents can actually buy, leading to an oversupply problem that has driven the uh, prices down. With no legal outlet to shop their wares, some growers have diverted to the black market, which is kind of funny. Um, but it's so, and I'm, we've talked about the, before in the show how like I, I, the attitudes about marijuana are changing, and 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 all of that. And there's still, I think, a lot of like even for me, growing up last century, just has a lot of those ingrained like drug scare, this, all of that. <laughs> But it's interesting how that starts to affect the actual economy. Like the United States could be like the world's leading producer of hemp or marijuana, like all of these things. But the laws that kind of prohibit it, I think, are going to keep us from from some economic viability in the future, which is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea how much weed <laughs> costs or how much it's supposed to be, but after reading this article, I was like, okay, well, this is an expensive, um, habit that I'm glad I don't have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of them go up to 382 bucks an ounce yeah. in North Dakota and all of that, but I guess McLaughlin Avenue bargain basement prices <laughs> right. at $30 an ounce. Uh, one of Nate's brothers is involved in producing really high quality cannabis oh, okay. and so we hear some stuff from him sometimes and it's always really interesting to me kind of what makes it more high quality and this and that and again oh, I don't I don't know a lot about it but he's given us some interesting nuggets here and there yeah it's cool I mean even growing up in the um well, not growing up but having my parents live in the Yakima Valley for so long and 
talking to the different farmers who do different things to do this and make that. And it's just, it's a fascinating science when you really get into what goes into that kind of stuff. For sure. And he's kind (laughs) of involved in medical marijuana. And so it is when he starts talking, he sounds like a doctor. It's like different strains for different ailments. And it's really cool that, um, you know, I'm glad that it's available for people that need it for that type of thing now. Yeah. And I think... Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. I think it does inhibit since it is still, I believe, under federal law, uh, a federal crime. Um, Even all those things kind of prevent all the different ways we can be researching it and studying it and all of that. uh, If you're in areas that it's not legal or it's uh, whatever. So but moving on, uh, the beloved monarch butterfly is now listed as endangered because of its fast dwindling numbers. Now, are, are you a numbers person at all? Because... Uh, coming up, there's going to be some that I'm going to need, <laughs> need help with, I think. Um, no guarantees. <laughs> okay. Well, the International Union uh, uh, for the Conversa- Conservation of Nature added the migrating monarch butterfly, uh, which if you don't know what that is, like if you think butterfly, that's probably the one you're picturing, the orange and black one. And um, it is now on the red list of threatened species and categorize it as endangered, which is two steps from extinct. Now, they estimated that the population of monarch butterflies in North America has declined between (laughs) 22% and 72%. So, like, that's a (laughs) depending on the measurement method. So, quite a range. (laughs) Yeah, that is quite the range depending on that measurement method. And you think they would get together and figure that out before they started throwing out numbers. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be sort of a hard thing to track, but. Also, that's, that's... I guess, yeah. How do you track butterflies? <laughs> that's like a ridiculous range. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, North America, millions of monarch butterflies undertake the longest migration of any insect species known to science. After wintering in the mountains of central Mexico, the butterflies migrate to the north, breeding multiple generations along the way for thousands of miles. The offspring reach, the, reach southern Canada and then begin the trip back to Mexico at the end of summer. I mean, it's amazing enough when like a goose does that but like (laughs) when you think of a butterfly flying from mexico to canada every year i mean yeah that's amazing that's that's crazy and i thought that their lifespan was just a few weeks so i must have been in error (laughs) there because you couldn't make it that quickly right i guess no well it says uh the butterflies migrate to the north yeah, breeding they... multiple generations oh, okay. along the way. So maybe they do, maybe it's like the Oregon Trail, <laughs> like <laughs> half of your party would be dead by the time you got to the end. Right. And it's not necessarily the same butterflies that started the trip that come back at the end of that. Oh, sure. Yeah. That, sh- but then why migrate? <laughs> like you're I migrating guess, to save your life. Right. And I, I guess if you <laughs> so... didn't migrate, though, you, you would... Um... You would not just die, or... but the whole species would die because no more oh, would be born yeah, that's, <laughs> along the that's way. That's true. That's true. Wow, yeah, that's what a, crazy. What a life. <laughs> so they're imperiled by a loss of habitat, increased and increased use of herbicides and pesticides, as well as climate change. But there are things people can do to help, like plant milkweed, a plant that the caterpillars depend on. Um, some of them weren't uh, listed as endangered, but the United States has not listed the but- monarch butterflies yet under the Endangered Species Act, but se- uh, several environmental groups believe that it should be listed. 
there is some good news because they said the new estimate of the global global population of tigers, which was 40% higher than the most recent estimates in 2015. There are only like three to 5,000 tiger, wild tigers worldwide. That was crazy. Like that's like that's a small I, that's a small town of tigers like and that's everywhere that's crazy well in shocking news a new study says the housing market is largely to blame for portland's homeless crisis because the average rent in portland is nearly seventeen hundred dollars a month which is higher than the national uh, average the urban study called houselessness is a housing problem found that the biggest factors in the homeless crisis are not necessarily addiction or mental health but rather a combination of high rent prices and a lack of affordable housing quote at any given night in multnomah Sent county five of five per one thousand people are experiencing houselessness which is quite a high number, says Clayton Aldern, one of the researchers. The data dates back to 2019 and looks at 30 largest urban areas in the country. It found Multnomah County to have among the lowest rental vacancy rates and highest rental prices. Multnomah County was the fourth highest when it came to the number of people experiencing homelessness each night. Researchers said factors like poverty, unemployment, and severe mental illness are factors in the crisis, but that studies all point to one thing as the root cause, the housing market. Basically, rent and rental vacancies and rental vacancy rates, how tight your housing markets, those are the factors to explain the variation and rates per capita. Um, But some disagree. This is my favorite. (laughs) Ron Garcia from the Rental Housing Alliance, which represents 2,000 landlords, says... I would say it's all our crisis. It's all we can do. And I'm not seeing rising rents as any of the key indicators as to why homeless populations grow. It's just not. He argued landlords are a key component to fair and affordable housing and shouldn't be to blame for the homeless crisis. I don't really see the escalation in rent having to do with it. I mean, very little. I love. <laughs> I would love to hear this in real life because this is punctuated like when you're doing a journal journalism story. Like to punctuate how people talk is often difficult. So you can tell he's stammering because it says, I don't really see the escalation in rent having to do with it. Dash, which means he's kind of inserting something. I mean, very little to do with homelessness, dot, 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 which means there's a gigantic pause in what he's saying. Uh, If your life has put you in a, if your life has put you in a position where you cannot afford basic sustenance, including housing, he says, defending the price, the high prices of, of homes. It isn't it isn't because the local rents have been raised. If your life has put you in a position where you can't afford housing, it isn't because the local rents have been raised. That's nothing. To I do think with it. <laughs> no. Uh, I think there's a biggest bigger calamity happening, and he does get extra points for using the word calamity. <laughs> yeah, I like um, that quick correction there because you can't say it has nothing to do with it i mean yeah wherever you are in the spectrum of thinking it's the problem like obviously it's, it's part yeah. of the, the issue <laughs> yes it is the x factor according to the researchers it will take building more affordable housing to accommodate the growing homeless population um i sent this and and i sent a picture of this which i didn't include in the notes to nate and dave yesterday and i said i'm not sure what nelson's uh what chelsea's going to talk about <laughs> but um this might be our show uh our show image because it's kind of two power rangers with 
um, custom-made heads because Hasbro will now let you become an action figure uh, for any of their properties oh. called the Selfie Series. And so I wanted, I wanted to uh, Photoshop Dave's VR head that I love <laughs> so much onto one, one of those. But they've unveiled self the Selfie Series, a new personalization platform that allows fans to create their own six-inch action figures in their likeness, featuring a variety of toy lines from their popular series such as Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Marvel's Legends, and more. What makes this opportunity better? This was totally a press release, by the way, that just went on and on and on about <laughs> how, like, how life-changing and world-changing this was going to be. Um, they're not just slapping your head on a generic action figure wearing a nondescript cape or weapons. Instead, fans can have their heads put on bodies of signature characters from Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Mighty Morphin, Power Rangers, G.I. Joe, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, they say they'll cost around $60, which is a lot, but not like super a lot to have kind of a neat custom image, uh, head image on your own favorite Mighty Morphin, Power Ranger, or G.I. Joe character. So, um... Welcome to the world of microtransactions. This is a very not nerd story. If you, when you buy a BMW, you can pay monthly for the car's features. And so this is all about how, like, if you're a video game player, you'll know microtransactions are something that you purchase with real life money within a game to unlock a bonus or to do something special. Or like in a game thing, you would buy a special sword or something that will help you. Um, but microtransactions is that word for all the little payments you pay in after you bought something. A lot of apps do it where um, you can buy more. And now they are coming to our cars because our cars are becoming smart cars. And BMW is offering, uh, or in 2019, they offered a subscription service called Apple CarPlay, which let you integrate your phone with the vehicle screens and audio system for $80 a year. Reaction was so negative that it quickly U-turned and made the feature a standard inclusion on most of its cars. But now it's doing another offering. And in South Korea, you can pay to heat your seats. A lot of cars just come with a little heated seat button. Uh, but for $18 a month, you can opt to pay uh, pay for that, or you can pay a one-off payment of $415. So the big thing is that all of the cars come with this stuff already built in. It's not like you bring your car in and like they mount an air conditioner in the window when you want air conditioning. Like it all comes with this stuff and you just pay to unlock it. Mm-hmm. And you can either do that with a subscription service. They're calling it Drive Connected, including seating, uh, seat heating for 15, steer wheel, uh, steering wheel heating for 10 bucks a month or euros a month, or the privilege of paying the privilege of paying to have the onboard GPS map updated oh, with new information. <laughs> so that bridge out ahead will not appear on your GPS until <laughs> you're careening over the edge of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'll be uh, wildly unpopular. <laughs> and I I have a feeling car, de- car manufacturers will continue to push it on us little by little. And we will slowly just get used to it. And just kind of how we get cable, we'll have to subscribe to a car package that comes with internet, comes with this or that, or live this, or what a time to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like some nickel and diming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is the definition of that. 
Um, this is kind of a little old, but I just wanted to mention that we've seen the new photos from the James Webb Telescope, and they are really, really astonishing. And they've posted them all, and a lot of them have comparison to the uh, the Hubble Telescope, which already in itself had a super impressive pictures. But to see to see what this James Webb Telescope is capable of is just like super, super exciting. And I'm and I'm very excited to see more of it. So if you haven't seen those photos, uh, definitely go check that out. Um, when you can, I need to show to work... this to my sorry. I need to show this to my daughter oh, yeah. and see what she thinks about it. You know, just be interested. Yeah, to get, I mean, like, it's six year old's perspective. Yeah, well, and it's and it's neat because I mean, even asking an adult what to make of something billions of miles away and billions of miles apart in distance. I mean, we just can't. We don't have the capacity to like fully comprehend right. that, but it's neat that the closer and closer or the, the, the higher quality pictures we get, somehow the more natural it looks like you see the swelling clouds of dust and with the stars within it. And it, it, it it's helping at least make it a little more understandable to like, oh, I can see water vapor in the sky swirling around and existing and then going away and then forming in ways that it seems to in space too. Yeah, it definitely made it seem more real, which I knew because it made me really uneasy <laughs> looking at those yeah. pictures. I was just like, ah, it's too too much. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is absolutely overwhelming yep. with our little caveman brain trying to <laughs> understand the the depth and the grasp of the universe. Well, I usually end with a with a funny story, and I guess this <laughs> is because it says Portland, Oregon makes Times World's Greatest Places of 2022 list. Oh. <laughs> so according to Time, and I know <laughs> a surprise to everyone, probably even the residents of Portland. Um, I know Newsweek, uh, which back in back in the uh, 20th century time and Newsweek, I believe were uh, that and maybe U.S. News and World Report were kind of the preeminent weekly news magazines that would do some great deep dive stuff. And they kind of relied on them for a lot. I know Newsweek, especially over this last des- uh, decade, has plummeted in quality and basically become kind of an, uh, a buzzfeed. I'm not sure about that for time. I know time is still on the newsstands unlike Newsweek. So I don't know how, I don't know how prestigious time is, but the publication asked for nominations for places for its international network of correspondent and contributors with an eye towards those offering new and exciting experiences. The list includes the Great Barrier Reef, Seoul, South Korea, and the Arctic and Portland. <laughs> the publication said Portland is committed to a new infrastructure for bikers and walkers along with the planet. They mentioned things like the Earl Blumenauer bicycle and pedestrian path, which opens on July 31. And that, that's the one over uh, the Banfield that kind of mirrors the um, Tillicum bridge. That's kind of the new one by OMSI. So I've driven uh, under that a couple times now, and it's really, really neat to see. It's a really neatly designed bridge. So we have that one and the the new earthquake resilient Ned Flanders Crossing, which is a pedestrian bridge that context, uh, con- uh, connects Northwest and the Pearl Districts and Tillicum Crossing, which carries trains, buses, streetcars, cyclists, and pedestrians. So it sounds like this is mostly because of the infrastructure we have for non um non-combustible ways of traveling uh without cars and Mm. stuff like that so 
from the outside, yes, that is very appealing. Sometimes <laughs> that can be less appealing when you're living here, but it is neat to see forward thinking and thinking in the future we will need this and then doing something about it even if it's perhaps less than less than great to live during the transition time so right i'm surprised they didn't mention the cheap marijuana though oh yeah that's true <laughs> well throw that in time toke one up for america's uh, the world's greatest places so yeah. <laughs> so that is all the news i have okay so I will, uh, you sent me a, a little document a little earlier and said that uh, these were kind of your notes and if I wanted to take a peek, but I, I have yet to take a peek as to <laughs> what we'll be talking about. So uh, what will we be talking about this week? So have you heard of the Enneagram? <gasps> you know what? <laughs> Already, it's already best show ever. Because <laughs> I am I am familiar with the Enneagram and I've taken the Enneagram test. Unfortunately, it's hard for me, much like the other tests I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> it's always hard for me to remember what I was. And so I, I only loosely remember it, but I know it's a big deal and something that's very much worth knowing about. So why don't you tell us about the Enneagram? Yeah, um, so I'm not an expert, but I have been pretty interested in it over the past couple of years. And I thought it might be fun, even, you know, whether you'd heard of it or not, just to do an intro for anyone who hasn't heard of it before. And it's it's weird. It's simple and it's really complex at the same time. Like you can just sort of do a surface level um, dive or you can like really get <laughs> into the weeds. So right. I'm going to try to keep it simple for, you know, an intro. It was funny when my daughter and husband were leaving earlier. Nate was like, have fun, because he knew I was a little nervous. And then he said, um, try to keep each type to 30 minutes. <laughs> and then my daughter. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> yeah. And then my daughter goes, and don't yell, because whenever Nate <laughs> is upstairs doing a podcast or talking on a work call, we can hear him like loud and clear downstairs. <laughs> and we're always just like, why is he yelling? Like, he just has a very loud voice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he gets when he's excited. Excitable. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, don't worry. There's no um, <laughs> risk of that. Like, I talk so quiet most of the time, people can't even hear me. But it was hilarious that she was like trying to help me out and <laughs> give me a tip. That's so cute. That's her idea of podcast recordings. Right. You get in a room and you yell at <laughs> yeah. each other for a while. <laughs> yes. Um. So anyway, um, quickly, just kind of describing what it is. It's a per personality typing system, kind of like Myers Briggs or the five love languages. But in my experience, it's a lot more in-depth and also a lot more flexible. Like It doesn't just say, like, this is what you are. It says, this sounds most like you, and then here's what you can do with that information. Um, and then how you can kind of use that information to help you or what it would look like if you were using it the wrong way and, and that kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then... And if well, and that's the big thing, too, not before, but it's what I liked about that, too, is like, yes... Here's the things that are are part of this. Here's what it looks like when you're using those gifts and talents in a positive way. Here's what it will look like when you they're <laughs> neg negatively presenting. And I think that's powerful because we all kind of forget that there's those aspects when we when we deal with things like that. Exactly. So an official definition is that it's an ancient system of personality typing that describes patterns and how people interpret the world and manage their emotions. And then people who are into the Enneagram like I am would 
say that it's a self-discovery tool that will help you understand your strengths and limitations, spot patterns you fall into during stress, and communicate more clearly. It's not about fundamentally altering yourself or trying to morph into another type, but about living more consciously with the hand you've been dealt and reaching better balance. And then one quote I found that um, made me think that people who are really in love with the Enneagram might say, it helps people get to what is greater, to be really internally happy, peaceful, and content. So that's like wow. somebody who's a big fan. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, anyway, it, it's believed to have originated way back in ancient times with Pythagoras, and then I think kind of taken different forms along the way. And in 1915, philosopher, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but George Gurdjieff um, brought it kind of back into the limelight. And then its modern form with the Enneagram circle that we are kind of familiar with today came about in the late 1960s from a Bolivian philosopher named Oscar Icazo. So it's kind of got a long um, history. I I thought it had originated with monks, but I think that it just was used a lot by monks. And what oh. I found interesting there was that it was like um, almost like a secret. You would find out the monks would find out their enneagram type, but then just use it as a tool for like self discovery and self um, progression. And they wouldn't tell people their number. They didn't want to know other people's numbers. It was just like a very private thing. And then now it's sort of exploding, um, and. Well, that's interesting because it seems like, I mean, the early 20th century Freud and like all of those big psychoanalysis and like there's some really big movements in psychotherapy and self-discovery and how ourselves work, like all of that, even up through the 60s and the 70s, those were big movements. And I know a lot of people have heard about it, especially in, I think, in the last decade or so, it's kind of exploded again. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting that it's it's so old that I wonder I wonder if Freud ever spoke to it or like right. you, I wonder if it influenced them in any way because it does seem like a little bit of hit, uh, still a hidden gem and mm -hmm. where, when it should be like this is the Pythagorean <laughs> theorem we should learn in school we'll always be able to help Google a Google search will help us with the whatever numerical Pythagorean, <laughs> Pythagorean <laughs> theorem is we need this one more yeah that is interesting and I think way back then it was kind of you know, called different things. So like it, one of the things I was reading said that it, it's thought to have originated from like the idea of the seven deadly sins. And so each type would kind of have like a, a sin that would be more a problem oh, okay. for them. So yeah, I think it's like come from all these different areas, but yeah, along the way it's been called different things. It's been thought of in different ways. So right. I'm sure, I mean, you could really dig into to its origins and then its progression over the years, but I'm glad that it's um, becoming more popular, and yeah. I think people who have kind of been into it for a while are a little worried that it's going to be, like, bastardized, <laughs> but then they're also glad that it's getting out there because it's a great tool. So. Right. So anyway, I don't know if you opened the file I sent yet, yes. but there's, like, the picture of the Enneagram there, and yep. it's a circle with, like, a bunch of lines connecting the nine numbers that are around the outside. And then each um, number has a title and that's supposed to be like each person is mostly one of those types. And like I said, you can stay very surface level with it and just learn your type or you can dig into the various levels and learn more. Um, 
the lines on the inside kind of show you how the different types relate to each other and then how if you're one type you are connected to some of the other types more strongly than you are to others and we'll get into a little more of that later but first I'll just back up and tell you kind of my personal experience with the Enneagram I think I was first introduced to it a couple years ago with my sister and I took a free online test and found out I was a one which is called the perfectionist or reformer and um, I think it was originally called the perfectionist but then that term has kind of become <laughs> a little pejorative over the last few years so the new um, name that they're they're going with is the reformer which basically okay. just means everything you see you think can be improved so you're going to try to change it <laughs> but I basically completely identified with that type had no problem being like yep that's me and um funny yeah I've always liked personality tests because it kind of feels like oh there's other people like yeah like me out there they were they were always hard for me and I remember we did the Myers-Briggs like in high school or mm -hmm. something like that and it the the instructions are try to pick an you know tr on your range of you know never to whatever the four options are to always try to pick one or the other but I never could I always mm -hmm. had to pick the middle like maybe sometimes was always the one because I'm very situational not to say that like I'm different wherever I go but like if you apply a totally different scenario to the same questions, like, well, then I would, I would be doing something different. Like right. I need context in order to make an informed decision. And these tests don't do that. So like I, I, we're, they said, well, usually people, you know, will have around 10 or 15, I don't know, or middle of the roads or whatever out of this 150 page question thing. And I had like 65 <laughs> or 70. I'm like, well, it didn't tell me what I was, but it's telling me what I am somehow. So. Right. And I think, um, you know, what you're saying there, that's actually a good quality, obviously, to like look at all sides of a thing and, and that right. th type of thing. And with the Enneagram, it's good because your goal is balanced. Like you might be like a strong three, but that could be good or bad. You want to kind of um, balance yourself out with some of the other numbers and try to stay like more in the middle. So I think that, um, like I said, what you're what you're saying there is good. But then I also think that it's maybe telling us a little bit about what number you might be, because certain numbers can see both sides of something a little better than others and that type of thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see if you remember as we go along which number you came up as. I have yeah. like a couple inklings of what <laughs> I think you might be, but we'll, okay. we'll see. Um, let's see. So, so after I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is cool and kind of moved on. And then it kept coming up. And like, I don't know if you've ever had that in your life where just different people keep mentioning the same thing to you or you just keep running into to the same yep. thing over and over. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to like yeah. look at this a little further. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends from college, maybe a year and a half ago, started an Enneagram coaching business and podcast. And so I would talk to her about it. I would talk to my younger sister about it, who's the one that originally brought it up with me and um, just started kind of discovering the the layers. And the more I started digging, the more fascinating it became. I introduced it to Nate and he either thinks it's like pretty cool or he's just humoring me. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but he'll listen to like a podcast here and there and kind of, uh, you know, he took the test and right. Um, <laughs> So I've been having a lot of fun listening to Enneagram podcasts, reading books about it. I'm a big reader and then talking about it with others who are interested. In it. Is there 
is there a like an official Enneagram Institute or like <laughs> are all the tests that can you just Google one and like all of them are kind of the same or is there a more like in that in the world of Enneagram is there kind of an yeah. Or, and organizational is a That's terrible thing, but funny like that you say that. kind of someone keeping making sure that right. things are like you said not polluted with whatever. Yeah, so that's one of the interesting things about it. There's nobody really like in charge of it. There's a few places out there that have been kind of around for a while and that are kind of considered experts. So one of them is called the Enneagram Institute. <laughs> so okay. it's funny that you said yeah. that. But um, <laughs> I've found that, I mean, I haven't gone out and like tried all the different tests because why? Sure. <laughs> but um, right, right. I've found that if you just Google like free online Enneagram test, you'll get one. It'll be good enough. And um and then um, I do have like specific podcasts that I really like and, and books and authors that I found to be like pretty good. Right. I guess I'm in my in my head. I'm thinking like it's the same Facebook quiz that tells you like <laughs> what what Harry Potter house you're in or yeah. whatever. It's going to tell me I'm a I'm a Slytherin. Yeah. I basically just always tell people go Google a free online test and then I've never had anybody come back with like I, okay. was, I was scammed or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but um so it's pretty safe to do okay and then usually at the end of those it'll be like if you want more information you can buy it for this much and you just sure, you don't sure. need to do that like once you have your number and your wing which i'll explain in a bit you kind of can go from there and just do your own investigating but um let's see oh so i've also <laughs> had a lot of fun secretly typing the people i know to try to understand them better <laughs> um and at this point if somebody tells me their number or if i can kind of just guess then i immediately know a lot about them which is kind of yeah. kind of spooky but um yeah you kind of can know well, it's valuable yeah and i mean yeah like it, it could be used for evil i guess but <laughs> <laughs> it hopefully is mostly just a good way to get to know people that you care about better. But yeah. I, I kind of know like maybe the best way to communicate with them or what kind of gift they might like for their birthday or th then kind of in, as on deeper level, the thing that they value most in life or their biggest fear. And it's just mm -hmm. been insane how accurate it is. Like, wow. I can't, I can't believe it. But one of the rules of the Enneagram when there's not many is that you shouldn't type others you shouldn't just come and be like you're an eight and i know it you know yeah. because it's supposed to be like a journey of self-discovery yeah. and that kind of ruins it for them and it's also sort of insulting like yeah you know they'll, they'll well why well, do you think that and because like, it, they always tell first year psychology students too yeah. it's like don't start right. trying to whatever your friends just <laughs> calm yeah. down and then um the same goes for typing children and while it's like really um enticing to want to know your kid more and then know how to relate to them more to kind of tell them or think that you know you're this that can pigeonhole them you know it's better yeah. to just sort of naturally let them discover it i've heard that um kids kind of don't really have a type until they're maybe um eight or nine ish and then oh, by about 10 you can maybe really tell but then they, you should kind of let them discover on their own, like in their early teenager years. Um, and they do actually have a number, but it's just, they're so like broad and open to everything and learning so much that it's not apparent yet. Right. But um, we should have like 
uh, Enneagram coming out parties at like <laughs> 17 or 18, kind, right. kind of like bar mitzvahs or whatever, where like you announce your number and everyone celebrates and understands how to relate to oh, you. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so then before we go over the specific nine types, I'll share a little mm. more about how it works. It's common to find yourself in all of the types, but one of them should stand out as being like closest to how you feel about yourself. And then um, it's funny because the kind of experts that I follow, they almost discourage taking a test for it. They say, no, you should just kind of read about it and listen to the different like types and, and decide which one sounds more like you. Um, so I think maybe like you were saying, some people just don't, um, that, that type of testing isn't really the best right. for their personality or whatever, or it could be swayed or something so right i've kind of heard from from some of the experts like just, nah, just skip the test and just sort of see what you think dig in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then some people will have two numbers that sound a lot like them me for instance i'm definitely a one but the two i also really heavily relate to that's the helper but that makes sense mm. because um it's right next to um the one and that's called my wing I was going to ask, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the the image, and I'll probably include the the image in our in our thumbnail, um, looks like a circle. Like if if you think of a a star of David, but like with an extra triangle sticking <laughs> out, kind of that that shape is a weird way to describe it. But there are numbers around the circle, and then the numbers have the lines, the triangles attaching to each other. And I was going to ask if the circle around around it all meant that like one touches two. Mm-hmm one touches nine type thing yeah. or if that was the circle okay okay definitely so um i'll get into the wings in a bit that's a really important piece but um so my husband nate for instance he he actually took an online test and he got really close for the two which is a helper or a nine which is a peacemaker he got like really high on both of those and they were just very very close and then reading about both we were like yeah i can see you in both of these and it took quite a while to like kind of sparse it out and figure out which number we thought he was but there are ways to do that um you can look at a person's motivations in life and then their stance which is kind of an enneagram phrase that you would learn more about later but um right and then one way to weed out your true type is to read all the descriptions and then kind of see which one makes you feel a little uncomfortable like oh i was gonna say i'm like (laughs) all of these are accusing me of something (laughs) like if you're like oh they've figured me out (laughs) you know that sort of can be a clue And then after deliberating a lot, we decided that he's a two, the helper. And then I still see parts of him in the nine, but that's fine. You can use tools for any number if you find them helpful for yourself. And that's kind of part of the flexibility I was talking about. It's not like, no, you're not that number. Stay away from it or whatever. It's like, no, that's fine. Just, you know, take what's useful for you. And then, like I was saying earlier, the ultimate goal is for us to kind of move around the Enneagram and use what each type has to offer to be like the healthiest person that we can be. And um, something that helped me visualize that is that it's been said that Jesus would be right in the center of the Enneagram because he's like the perfect blend of everything, (laughs) you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then speaking of Jesus, the Enneagram has an interesting (laughs) relationship to faith and religion. It's it's been called the personal growth journey and a guide to discovering the person God created you to be. And it has been used and developed by monks since ancient times, like I said earlier. But as with most things, some believers embrace it. 
um, as something to supplement their faith, and then others think it's heretical <laughs> nonsense <laughs> since it doesn't come straight from the Bible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess. You just well, have and to I wondered, <laughs> I wondered if it had, and I guess I never heard it growing up since I just didn't hear about it at all. But I wonder mm-hmm. if they were like, well, monks and these mystics use it, and there's some sort of, you know. Ouija yeah. power in it or something like that. And so we've just sort of kept it away, I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like I went to a women's Bible study maybe a year and a half ago and it came up and most of the women were really excited and we were all sharing our numbers. And then one of the um, women was like, um, I'm not a big fan. I think she was in like uh, psychiatry or something as her field. Oh, okay. So she was like, but also Christian because she was at this Bible study and yeah. and was like, it just doesn't have any like roots in, you know, science. And uh, I just right, feel like right. it's, you know, I don't know. So she was not like a horoscope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can I can see people to be like, oh, that's kind of like a horoscope right. where anything could be true to any one mm-hmm. of them or whatever. But I think it's more a little more compelling than that. Right. And so some like psychologists are embracing it and using it. And I, it's funny because I feel like I've done counseling in the past. I don't have a counselor right now. And I feel like if I get another one at some point, I like really want them to be versed in the Enneagram because it's such yeah. a huge part of what I've been looking into that I want to be yeah, able to talk about I think that's it. probably where I, where I learned about it too. It was probably counseling. Yeah. yeah. And then other, other counselors think it's pseudoscience. So <laughs> you kind of maybe have to figure <laughs> out where they are on that. This is like the, the chiropractor of yes. <laughs> mental, mental health. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just look at it like it's not, I don't see how it could hurt anyone. So I don't right. know what the harm would be, but I guess if you right. made it like your one thing and you just depended on it so much or something, but just everything in moderation and it should be fine, I think. But yes, <laughs> yes. Or, you know, again, with the, with the religion, if you let it like take over what you are following from God and, and then it's like your you know, yeah. main thing. But anyhow, um, so I think that we can go through each number now. <laughs> yeah. And with that basic understanding. So there's a couple of strengths and weaknesses listed here for each. And um, and then obviously there's a lot more to each, but that's just a quick overview. Type one, the reformer, is principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionist. And type two, the helper, is generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, and possessive. Type three, the achiever or performer, is adaptable, excelling, driven, and image conscious. Type four, the individualist, is expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Okay, so type five, the investigator, is perceptive, innovative, secretive, and self-isolating. Type six, the loyalist, is engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Type 7, the enthusiast, is spontaneous, versatile, materialistic, and scattered. Type 8, the challenger, is self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. And type 9, the peacemaker, is receptive, reassuring, complacent, and resigned. So It's interesting because, <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote down a couple, but I, I ended up with four different ones that I'm like, yeah. huh, I should dig into those, yeah. into those more. Some a little stronger than the other mm-hmm. ones, but yeah. Oh, interesting. Do you mind sharing which ones? So I put, uh, when we read number two, the helper, Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm very people pleasing. um, And I know that kind of falls into that category. 
Uh, I did note four, which was the expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. <laughs> I put that maybe a little less possible, but yeah. I could definitely see uh, <laughs> me falling into that. Uh, then five, which I think is a bit higher possibility, is the perceptive, uh, innovative, secretive, mm-hmm. and self-isolating. Um, and then number nine, too, I have I can see myself with the peacemaker, the receptive, reassuring, complacent, and resigned. So, okay. And so what could also be going on there is like um, one of those could be your wing. Um, okay. So you said type four and type five. You could have one of those as your main and then one of those as your wing. You okay. You could go either way, five with the four wing or f- four with the five wing. Right. Um, I'm trying to get rid of four. So how do I get <laughs> rid of the possibility that I have yeah. that one? <laughs> I know. Well, and that's what's so cool about it is they really do have tools to help you downplay, right. you know, maybe some of the negative sides of your number and then increase the positive sides. And and what's great is right. that each one does have really good things about it and then kind of, yeah, <laughs> not, not so <laughs> So speaking of the wings, that's another really important basic part. And like you thought, they just go around the circle. So um, a two, you could have a one wing or a three wing. Mm -hmm. The only one that's like a little different is me as a one. My wing would be a two or a nine because it just starts back over. Right. Um, Let's see. So now it's interesting i guess well i guess i was gonna say four and five don't meet but i'm just missing because it looks looks like there's a missing line and that's just the graph the way the graph is laid out or the circle is laid out yeah and then those inner lines do um mean something like you brought up earlier kind of how you would look if you were sort of unhealthy as a certain number or um if you were thriving as that number and that's what those lines in the inner circle are so if you look at the one, for instance, it's connected to the seven and the four. Mm-hmm. So one, as a perfectionist, my best self is when I'm going to seven. Um, and that's the enthusiast. And that's because that's okay. when I like let loose and I'm more spontaneous and I'm not worrying about everything. So that's like what I should be striving for is to kind of chill out <laughs> and have fun. And right, then right. the other line is going to the four, the individualist, <laughs> and that's when I'm in stress. And kind that's of, the one we're both trying to avoid. Right? That's like my worst <laughs> self when I'm up in my head, I'm super emotional, I'm dramatic. And so, um, like, isn't it interesting how that works? Yeah. And like, if you find your, your, your main um, number and then you follow these lines, it's just amazing to me that everybody... Because ones, too, can look totally different. Um, like one of my nephews tested it as a one, and I was surprised because we're very, very different. But then when you kind of look in at closer details, it's like, okay, that makes sense. But even though we're so different, the this stress and security numbers, that's what they're called, would fit him, too. And I've just never come across it like being completely off, you know, which I guess right. it could be. But, like, it's just amazing to me that this is so intricate and all these things are connected and i said it i said it before i said it before and i'll say it again um it's so it's so helpful to know the the model of this is what looks this is what will look healthy and this will not look Mm -hmm. healthy because else we can just make up whatever it is in our mind that is good or bad about like you know what i mean but to have 
oh, I've been extra snippy today or I've been this today or I've been feeling happy today or whatever to know what that behavior looks like. Else we're never going to I mean, human beings are perfect at finding everyone else's flaws, but we are terrible at identifying our own ones. And we just like are all walking around in this like really weird benign denial about how we interact with these things and what our behaviors look like. And that we have, I think, as Americans, we probably reject this because we we can't be categorized. We can't be, well, I'm an individual. I'm so, I'm such an individual that these things, how would they know? Like, you don't know me. And it's like, okay, well. But I think, I mean, that's just so, so valuable, I think, yeah. to to know. Yeah, and I was telling my sister, I don't know why it makes me feel better, but to hear like, oh, this is why you're acting that way, <laughs> or this is normal, it just... It, it, it just makes me feel better. It's like, okay, I'm not just like crazy or like a terrible person at, at yeah, times. Yeah. There's like a method to the madness or whatever. Yeah, no, totally. And then also when you're dealing with other people like, oh, he, he, it's not just, um, you know, dismissive. Like that's, there's a reason for this. Like maybe it's, it's something else that just looks that way to me, but there's like more going on. You know what I mean? And you kind of right. give people the benefit of the doubt and try to understand why they're behaving a certain way and it could be something completely different than what you thought because they're not the same as you <laughs> right 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 um, well what's interesting is I'm looking at some I'm I keep going back to five uh, five mm-hmm. type five which is the investigator uh, perceptive innovative secretive and self-isolating but both of the wings so we have challenger which is eight and that is self-confident decisive willful and con- confrontational which those like none of those are <laughs> like Doesn't if I could pick like all you, of the words yeah. that don't sound like me, it's self-confident, <laughs> decisive, willful and confrontational. Yeah. Um, and seven, which is the enthusiast, uh, spontaneous, versatile, materialistic and scattered. Like, I guess a little bit, but like neither of those have strong connotations or at least emotions to me right now. And I wonder if. Does that mean, well, maybe I'm then less of that thing that connects them and more of so, or does that have anything to do with it? Or um, I'm looking right now to see which one of those, if you were a five, would be your stress or your security number. Because this um, diagram I sent you was like the simple one. The other one that shows the oh, okay. stress and security. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. How do you know which one is on good it? and bad? <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> you keep actually doing the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so five would go to seven. And, and so, yeah, and since we just have a very short list of, of traits, yeah. um, it's just, there might be more there, you know, that, that we're not seeing, but sevens, oh, sure, sure, so sure. sevens kind of, they like to have fun and, and what they'll do is just sort of stuff negative feelings. They'll re- reframe it as like positive, something positive, okay. which is great, but yeah. not if you're doing that constantly all the time and never addressing your issues. <laughs> So, right, right. So that's kind of where I think it, what it would look like if you were going there in sure, okay. stress. Not you personally, but like if I've going there in stress would be like they're ignoring kind of anything that's wrong and just sort of like, woohoo, let's party, you know? Right, right. And then fives in growth go to eight, which is interesting. I think um, okay, it might just mean like, because fives are very... Um, quiet and they like do a lot of studying and they know a lot but then sometimes it's hard for them to kind of share that so I think maybe 
the reason having the confidence yeah, to exactly. speak about something yeah. or do something okay interesting and maybe like yeah push back a little every once in a while if you're kind of letting people like drive over you walk or, all over <laughs> yeah <laughs> right well, I have a history of not pushing back when people walk all over me, so <laughs> maybe I'm not. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm after we're done here uh, and, yeah. and house sitting today with nothing to do, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take a, a kind of a, see if I can find a nice in depth one and kind of get a handle on this because I know it's it's come up enough, especially if I've been kind of on a on a mental mental health and self help journey which is a word that I despise calling it a journey, but um, for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so. Mm-hmm. And all of these, um, all of these things are just so helpful. They're just all tools laying there that we can all pick up and use. They're mm-hmm. not, they're not going to be magic. They're not going to do the work for us. But if we just kind of equip ourselves with some of these, it right. does make navigating things. It makes it, I, and I think it, it, makes it so you go a little easier on yourself too i mean you were saying that uh with you and your sister too but i mean just to know like oh, okay like this is i'm not a terrible person because i did this that's just how i'm vent or whatever and i think it, it helps you feel more grounded and less crazy to know that that's just an aspect that will sometimes happen yeah to you. for sure and i like that it gives you tools for each specific person instead of just like this is what you are like yeah everything's a hammer yeah and you can find (laughs) you can find devotionals out there that are tailored to each number and there's like a guy who's written a song for each number and like it's just oh wow it's fun that it's getting out there because more things are being offered you know yeah he's like the schoolhouse rock of the (laughs) enneagram it's like you know pick your your number and this and then listen to the song and you'll be in tears i'm like oh great (laughs) because you feel like someone's you know (laughs) <laughs> right touching my soul or whatever but <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny so um i think we were talking about wings and um it's interesting some people have a really strong wing like i'm really strong to wing and that's something i've had to work on in my life is is helpers can kind of get taken advantage of and so i've done a lot of work on the past like eight years or so on codependency <laughs> and um, yeah sure and there's a belief that in the first half of your life, one of your wings might be stronger. So I think when I was younger and up to about midlife, the helper wing was really strong and I kind of had mm. to, t- to rein that in. And so now what I'm sure. working on is um, developing the other one, the nine, the peacemaker. And okay. in the second half of your lives, like as you mature, you tend to balance out and use that other wing to kind of, you know, just. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. There's like a whole book on that. Um, and then we're thought after a while, I was like, okay, so are we born with a type or do we become, you know, nurture versus nature or do we become a type because of what we experience? And so it seems like the, the main um, belief is that we're born with a dominant type, but how we respond to our earliest experiences or trauma reveals our core fear and core desire and that can explain why siblings brought up in like the same exact circumstances could be so different. It's because they right. are um, using their number, or, you know, being their number in the way that they right. respond to to that stuff. Does it seem to correlate to what the parents are? Although I guess parents they're not going to be the same anyway. So it doesn't. It's it can be just huh. all over the place. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then, um, so. 
our number doesn't change over our lifetime, but we can shift around a little bit, like I was saying with the wings or like how healthy or how in stress we are. And then... Um, so even if like if you're a number and like you said, what, do, what are the, the negative and positive? What are those lines called? Um, it's We have the wing and the... Yeah, so where you go to in stress and security. Stress and security. Okay, so you have the stress and security... If, if say you're, you're living in a lot of trauma or you mm-hmm. grow up in a lot of trauma, is it possible to be, to then completely become your stressor number or you live would, there or are you always the thing? Yeah. You're, you're always that core number, but you can definitely live in, in that stress for sure. for years. I mean, you could right. be hanging out there for a long time, kind of in an unhealthy spot, but I think what makes it that you haven't completely changed into that is because your core motivations your stance um your like i said your core fear and desire are always the same you just are trying to get to it in a different way that's either healthy or not okay wow isn't it crazy? <laughs> it is. I mean, and and yeah, I can see how this could easily be talked about yeah. like, literally for the rest of our lives yeah. because it's so fascinating. Yeah, there's like um, other topics and we went over like the main things. If you know your number, your wing and then your stress and health numbers, yeah. you've got tons of info there to start with. And then there's whole other things that I've learned later that I'm like, we just we just can't talk about that today. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a great, uh, perfect overview, and it's it's exact. It's exactly what I needed <laughs> uh, in my time of need, because I have been. I I hear people talk, refer to it all the time, and yeah. I, it always bums me out that I can't remember <laughs> what it was yeah. and all of that. And so I should really, really take that take that in because it it is. It's so useful. I mean, why why would I not want to know? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like. It's not like useless, all the, I have plenty of useless trivia in my brain that does nothing for me, where it's like, I guess I could do something that can actually benefit me in some way, so. What's funny is that some numbers are really interested in this type of stuff, like fives, for instance, because they love learning and studying everything, and then others, like sevens, I, I know someone who, I won't say who it is, you know, I've, I've tried not to be like, oh, my sister's are this, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. this person took the test and was a seven, and I mean, at least I got them to take the test. I've had other people who I think are sevens that are just not interested because they're just living their life. They don't care. They're flitting yeah. off somewhere else. There's some fun to be had somewhere. So they took the test. We found out they were seven. We're like, yep, that makes sense. And then I was just talking about how much I'm enjoying it and how it's really helping me like improve and kind of change things about myself and this and that. And the sevens response was, well, why would you want to do that? You're your number for a reason. And it would just crack me up. I'm like, yep, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's what you would think. And that's great. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, again, it's just so useful because especially in communication, it's 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 hard to speak another person's language, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so we often say things that we don't mean what is going to be heard by the other person. Yeah. And <laughs> and knowing that like okay, that person said it that way. I took it this way. He said it that way because of this probably meant. And like, it just all kind of helps. I mean, it just all helps yes. in, <laughs> in, in lots of different ways, I think. Yeah, I found Especially my, in that communication. Right. I found myself Googling things like, how do um, ones and twos relate best in marriage, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or yeah. like, um, what's the best way to show love to a, 
a seven or, you know, just, you can totally yeah. Google that stuff and it'll pop up. So it's really fun. Oh, that's cool. Well, and it's like the lang- the love languages too, which I yeah. know a little bit more about too, but just how helpful that is in any relationship, yes. not just a spousal <laughs> relationship, but like for parents and siblings and the, you're like, you tend, we all tend to kind of project like he's doing this because of X, Y, and Z right. that we make up in our head when you can be like, oh, he is, he gave me a vacuum cleaner because his <laughs> <laughs> acts of service or what, you know, whatever it is. And so just, uh, yeah, to help us understand and extend empathy, which exactly. is something we very much need right now. Yeah. So, well, thank you yeah. so much. Is there more? Have um, we covered it? We've covered <laughs> it. We've covered all the stuff that I had, um, I do have recommendations on some authors oh, and any and podcasts, so I don't know if you want me to say those or if you want to just include them. Oh yeah, in the yeah, show notes. no. Well, you can say them and I'll okay. and I'll put them in in the Facebook so uh, the, thing. Yeah, the two authors and podcast hosts I've enjoyed the most are Suzanne Stabil and Ian Morgan Cron, and the two of them they have separate podcasts, but they actually wrote a book together called "The Road mm. Back to You: An Enneagram Journey to Self Discovery," and it was the first mm. one I read, and it was a really good introduction. Oh, nice. So then Suzanne has several books and the Enneagram Journey podcast. And then Ian has a few books and his is the Typology podcast. And then my friend Jenny's coaching business and podcast, you can find on Instagram at Enneagram Sisters. And then another uh, Instagram page that I just started following that I'm really enjoying is called Enneagram Parents. And it's great because it'll be like, if you're a, a one, like your strengths as a parent are this, but watch out for this. And then right. it'll say, oh, great. if you think your child's of five, you know, they need you to do this in this situation or this right. is what will help them the most and that kind of thing. So that's been really cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Great, great. Well, thank you again. I, I, I needed to hear that. <laughs> I needed to hear that. So, I was hoping you. that you weren't one of these people that had kind of dismissed it and you were going to be like oh right. geez <laughs> now I have to stay here for an hour and listen to this <laughs> so I'm glad that it was no you know something that yeah I've been in. I've been meaning to circle circle back and just never never have but I, I'm definitely definitely gonna go find out my type and won't tell anyone if I'm a what a number four <laughs> is what I'm trying to avoid so <laughs> so great well thank you for coming is there uh, a place where do you have a Twitter or something that you that, that people don't. can follow? I don't. <laughs> have a have a merch line or a nope. or a new video <laughs> drop in or anything? No, but I would love to hear about you know the stuff that you you discover and what your number is and all that. And then if there's interest in the future, you know we could talk more about it and get more into like Ooh, yeah. some of the nuts and bolts <laughs> that we didn't have time cool, for today. Cool, cool. <laughs> that would be excellent. Uh, I will I will check up with that next um, time. Mark's out of town. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. On my Mark Listen podcast. Well, <laughs> speaking of, we will not be here next week because I will be out of town. But then the week after, I will be coming back from vacation and we hopefully will be doing a show then. So stay tuned for that. Uh, listen to Fun Employment Radio. They have a new show every day of the week and you can become a part of their Supporters Club program where you can hear this very podcast a whole day early before we release it to everyone else. So. Other than that, I guess I will find some Enneagram piece of music to play off of YouTube. So that's what you will be listening to now at the end of the episode. Thank you again, Chelsea, for joining me. Thank you. I think I figured out why I feel so alone. I've grown too much in self-awareness. I'm sure that I'm right. 
But the friends that I know aren't evolved enough to understand it. I read all my blind spots a long time ago. After reading some books that put me in the know. So I don't need therapy, there's nothing to fix. Cause I know what my age 